You're listening to Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. Get the Crush blogs, podcasts, and performance links at crushperformance.com. by far one of my favorite times of the year. It is without question my favorite season of the year for a number of reasons, but in terms of sport, well, there's so much going on. I absolutely love it. Major League Baseball is heading into the home stretch and the postseason is starting to take shape. NHL camps are getting underway. The NFL season is kicking off. In the NBA, things are starting to rumble with training camps opening late September and the FIBA World Cup just wrapping up. The NCAA fall sports are starting off, and the U.S. Open. It's a lot like the PGA Masters in the spring. The U.S. Open is kind of my marker for fall sports. I love it. I've been there, and even if you're not a tennis fan, I highly recommend checking it out if you can. It is such a cool scene. First off, New York in the fall is absolutely incredible. And then you have the world's top tennis players and you can get right up close and personal, especially early in the tournament. If you ever have a chance to check out the U.S. Open, I suggest you try to do it. With all this going on in sport, it's one of the big reasons fall is my favorite time of year. So today, I want to throw a couple of questions your way. First, what are you watching for this fall in sports? I'm actually very interested to know. Drop me a line and let me know if you can. I'd like to know what you're watching and why. I'm going to talk about why I watch sports in the fall and what I'm watching for as it all gets underway. Let's compare notes and see if we're on the same page. Then, as the NFL season kicks off, I can't help but always think about the incredible talent level of these players. And I also can't help but wonder how they got to where they're at. One thing I do know is these players are incredibly dedicated to their craft. They've worked their way to the top of their sport. And there are some things to learn here, which is exactly why we pay close attention to what's going on at the highest levels of sport. So here's my second question for you. Do you think NFL players or professional athletes in general specialize early in their sports or do you think they play multiple sports as they work their way to the top of their game? What do you think? Today, we're going to break that down. Is early specialization as bad as it's made out to be or is it the way to go? The data tells a clear story. We'll break it down and have a look. This is exactly why we watch sport with such great interest. There is plenty to learn from watching the highest levels of the game if you know what to look for. Here at Crush Performance, we don't really have favorite teams or favorite players that we watch or follow. But what we do do at the start of each season is we look for the ebb and flow and the trends in sport, for the successes and failures, the rebuilds and the assaults on performance. And we'll pick out storylines and the players that we do want to watch and then we sit back as the story unfolds and we try to determine why things turn out the way they do. It's fun and we learn a lot. Take baseball, for example. At the start of this season, one of the players we were focused on was Shohei Otani. It's a big contract year for him and he could possibly sign the biggest contract in sport. 
Fast forward to the second half and Otani comes up with UCL issues once again. How is this going to impact his career, this contract, and the game in general? And also, one of my favorite players in the game, Ronald Acuna Jr. Since he entered the league, I had a feeling about him and he has not disappointed. Watching him come in as a young rookie, getting used to the speed of the big league game, dealing with a couple of injuries and now blossoming into one of the game's top players. It has been a lot of fun to watch and there are things to learn there. So each season, I'll pick a few players to follow, but I've been following several players for their entire careers just to see how it unfolds. It is a fascinating experiment. We also check out the teams, the Braves, the Rays, the Dodgers, Baltimore, and the Mets were our top teams to follow this season. At the midway point of the first half, I said all will be as it should be by the All-Star break. It wasn't. Then I said, all will be as it should be by the postseason. And I think I score a so-so at best here. As of this recording, there's still a few games left in the season, but the Braves are everything I thought they would be, as are the Dodgers. And for me, the Houston Astros have taken the throne away from the Yankees as baseball's evil empire, after the big cheating scandal, of course. But since 2011 and their ownership change, the Astros have been one of my top organizations to watch in all of sport. Since that new ownership took over in 2011, it was and has been a direct attack on winning games and they're doing it. And it's been fun to watch. The cheating thing was a huge, huge organizational mistake. Then, of course, you have the Yankees. With the second highest payroll in the game at $278 million, they're in last place in the AL East, 19 and a half games back as of this recording. In this day and age, money and payroll does not guarantee wins. The New York Mets are another great example of this. Oh man, I'm so excited for this team and the new ownership. Listen, it's very rare to have an owner like this. He's a lifelong fan. He went to games as a kid and now he's one of the richest owners in the game. Plus, he wants to win for the fans. The Mets might be one of the teams I would go work for right now if they asked me. I'm not joking. I love what they're trying to do. But this year has not gone according to plan. They have the highest payroll in the game. I think maybe in the history of the game at $343 million. They're 28 games back of the Braves as the season comes to a close here. In contrast, the Baltimore Orioles, also one of our top teams to watch this year, they have been surprising on the other end of the spectrum. I didn't expect great things from them this season as they rebuild and work towards the postseason. I was hoping for mild gains at best, but they've owned the AL East virtually all season, battling it out with the Rays, and I love it. The Rays have the fourth lowest team payroll in the league at $79 million. The Orioles are third lowest at $71 million, and they are going to be heading into the postseason on top of that division. So much to watch and so much to learn. We'll have a closer look at baseball and talk about offseason training as the postseason wraps up later this fall. Then you have the NHL. I also have my teams, players, and storylines to watch here as well. The Edmonton Oilers, the Tampa Bay Lightning, and the Toronto Maple Leafs being my top teams to watch this year. 
Then in the NFL, as the season gets underway, there's so much going on. The Buffalo Bills, can they actually close the deal this year? You have the Patriots. I'm still watching. Post Brady, can they pull it back together? Was it Belichick that worked the magic? Was it Brady? Or was it Belichick and Brady together? That's what I think. I'm going to see if the Patriots can't work some new magic. Then you have the Bengals. You know, this is a good team. Can they rule? Like a lot of experts are predicting, we're going to watch how they go about their business and how they go about chasing down that Super Bowl dream. And then, of course, you have one of our long-standing NFL teams to watch, the Browns. Can they get a little further this year? It's been a topsy-turvy, up-and-down ride for them, again, since new ownership. They have succeeded, then failed, then failed again, then failed again, and now they're on their way back. Last year was a pleasant surprise. Let's watch them again this year and see if the organization as a whole can't turn it around. And then there's my Raiders. Can they even come close? I'm so excited for this team and the move to Las Vegas. I was hoping that might spark some magic. Now, they're not out of it, but I don't know if they're necessarily in it. Let's watch them with a lot of interest this year. And again, as they work through all the coaching changes and coaching hassles, can they turn it around this quickly and make a run for it? You have Kansas City and Mahomes. Of course, everybody's watching Kansas City. Enough said there. There's something very special going on with that organization, and it has a lot to do with the players in that room. We talk about culture, right, and the power of leadership. And Patrick, as a young pro, is absolutely blowing me away. He is a special, special person, I think. Certainly a special athlete. And then, of course, we watch the NFL in general. What will the injury situation be this year and why? And we'll be watching the business side. The NFL is one of the strongest business machines in all of sport, and they have high, high aspirations for expanding their business model. We'll watch all of this and more with great, great interest. Sport it's the real live reality TV, and I love it. It's unpredictable. It's unscripted, and let's face it, it's anyone's game. So what will you be watching this fall? Seriously, drop me a line and let me know. Info at Jeff Gershel or direct message me on social media. That's what I'm watching and why I'm watching. I'd like to know what you're watching and why as well. Now, getting back to our second question. Do you think NFL players or professional athletes in general specialize early or do you think they play multiple sports as long as possible? Is early specialization as bad as it's made out to be or could it be the way to go if you're a young athlete with dreams of professional or Olympic sport? What do you think? Well, the data tells a clear story. Why don't we have a look? What can we learn from watching the top performers in sport? There are so many variables involved when it comes to success in sport, it's impossible to cover them all. But from time to time, you can pick up a few important things like specialization and in particular, early specialization in sport, which is committing to one sport early in the developmental process. Is it a good way to go or is it bad? And how do we know? 
Well, overall in sports science, early specialization gets a pretty bad rap, and there's good reason for that. But is it really as bad as it's made out to be? Personally, I don't think so, as long as you address it properly. Now, with the greatest of intentions, parents, coaches, and even athletes may think that it's a great idea to dive all into one sport early in the developmental process to get an edge or an advantage, but could there be hidden risks to doing so? There are mounting concerns, and the data paints a very interesting picture. The average number of sports played by children ages 6 to 17 has dipped for three straight years according to the Sports and Fitness Industry Association. And in a study published in a recent issue of the American Journal of Sports Medicine, University of Wisconsin researchers found that young athletes who participated in their primary sport for more than eight months a year were more likely to report overuse injuries throughout their career. There appears to be a dark side to early specialization in sport, even if it's with the greatest of intentions to get that edge or that advantage that we spoke of. There are issues you need to be aware of in order to handle it properly. And the physical injuries are just part of it. Intense specialization can also tax minds. According to the Academy of Pediatrics, it can lead to burnout, anxiety, depression, and increased dropout rates. The group says that delaying specialization in most cases until late adolescence increases the likelihood of athletic success. And there's plenty of proof to support that. If you consider the power of playing multiple sports, in a survey of 296 NCAA Division I male and female athletes, UCLA researchers discovered that 88% played an average of two to three sports as children. And to back that up even further, in 2019, research published in the Orthopedic Journal of Sports Medicine titled The Analysis of Sports Specialization in the NCAA found that 94.7% of all NCAA athletes were multi-sport athletes as children, 45% until the age of 16 years. Team sports were played on average to 15.5 years and individual sports to 14 years. Those numbers alone paint a very interesting picture. 94.7% of NCAA athletes played multiple sports. Only 17.4% specialized at age 12 or younger. So based on those numbers, playing multiple sports appears to be a massive, massive advantage if you have dreams of playing in the NCAA. And to strengthen the argument even further, if we look at Ohio State football's recruits from a few years back, they took in 47 players. 42 of the 47 were multi-sport athletes in high school. Only five specialized in football through their high school years. And that's just looking at college sport. What happens when we look to the professional leagues? Well, data from the NFL is what makes me think about specialization every single fall. If we look at the NFL draft in 2018 and 2019, and we're talking the first round here, 32 players, the top draft picks. Well, in those two years, 2018 and 2019, 29 of the 32 top draft picks were multi-sport athletes. In 2017 and 21, when you look at the top 32 players, 30 were multi-sport athletes. And when we go back to the 2022 draft, of the 262 top picks, 
233 were multi-sport athletes in high school. That's 88.9% of the top NFL picks who were multi-sport athletes. Now, 68.7 of those participated in track and field, one of my favorite sports for young athletes. 43.1% played three or more sports in high school. And only 11% of the 262 top NFL picks in 2022 were specialists in the game of football. You'll find similar trends in every single professional sport. In fact, for baseball, a study published in the Orthopedic Journal of Sports Medicine looking at the injury rates in Major League Baseball found that early sports specialization is associated with upper extremity injuries in throwers and fewer games played at the Major League level. The study looked at drafted players between 2008 and 2018. Not only were the number of multi-sport players who made it to the big leagues higher, multi-sport players played more games. The data and the trends are so convincing, it's now part of the recruiting process for major league scouts and organizations. In fact, a few years back, I was presenting at one of our elite high school academies. Now, this academy is a special, special place where players are going to college or they're getting drafted pro. One afternoon, I was getting set to present in a classroom session. We were going to talk about off-season training, balancing schoolwork, jobs, girlfriends, family life. We're going to look at playing multiple sports in the off-season and just balancing training and everything they had to think about as they were preparing for the next season. Just as we were about to start, one of the players came up and said, Hey, Jeff, I think I'm going to be a bit late. I'm going to be on a call with a team that's interested in drafting me. Of course, I said, Go take the call. No problem at all. We were about 25 minutes into the session and the player comes walking back in after his call was over and I stopped him in his tracks. I said, Hey, how did the call go? And he said, I think it went really, really well. I looked at him and asked, Did they ask you how many sports you played as a kid? And he kind of just sort of stared back at me like, what do you mean? I said, did they ask you if you played multiple sports as a kid? He goes, how do you know that? I said, what do you mean? He said, that's the first thing they asked me. Isn't that crazy? He probably thought we were eavesdropping on his call or something or tapping into his airwaves. I don't know. But isn't that, isn't that funny? You know, about two months prior to that, I was on a trip for Major League Baseball and over the years, I've gotten to know scouts from virtually every single team and scouts who used to run the Major League Baseball Scouting Bureau. We have great conversations on athlete development, talent development, and skill acquisition. And one of the things that's been popping up more and more in the last few years has been the conversation around multiple sports and when athletes should specialize in the game of baseball. Again, the injury rates in the game at every single level are historically high. Every single team is trying to find the formula to reduce the risk of injury in their players. And one of the things they're now looking for and trying to better understand is the impact of specializing in the game of baseball early in development, as opposed to athletes or players who played multiple sports before they specialized in baseball? And at what age did that happen? It's a very, very important conversation, not just in baseball, in every single sport. 
There's articles that have pointed out the problems in the NFL and the NBA where they're seeing career-ending wear and tear in adolescence, injuries and issues they only previously saw in veteran players, players with 10, 12 years in the league. And we're seeing these types of trends in virtually every single sport. So is specialization as bad as it's made out to be? Well, if you look at the data, there appears to be very strong evidence pointing to the fact that if you play multiple sports as you develop, you have an edge, a serious edge. The numbers don't lie. So with the greatest of intentions, it might make sense to dive all into one particular sport to get an edge, to get an advantage, to get a leg up on the competition. But in the long game of athlete development, it doesn't appear to work out that way all that often. So let me ask you, how did you answer our question? Let me give it to you one more time. Is early specialization as bad as it's made out to be? Or could it be the way to go? Do you think NFL players or professional athletes in general specialize early in their sports? Or do you think they played multiple sports as they work their way to the top of their game? That was the question we asked earlier in the show. What was your answer? And based on the data that we talked about, has your answer changed? Is specialization as bad as it's made out to be? Well, I said it earlier. I personally don't think so. It can be bad if it's not addressed properly. You just have to look at the data for that, but also the injury rates and on the mental side, the burnout, the anxiety, the stress and the dropout rates. I'll repost some of the articles that look at the effects of early specialization and year round sport. There are big, big issues that we've never seen before. Those injuries in youth athletes that we've only seen previously in veterans of professional sport. It's almost getting out of control. So if you specialize early because you think it's the way to go, or if you're cramming in year-round competition and training, you may want to rethink your approach. But if you're doing it because your kid loves a sport and doesn't want to do anything else, we never want to discourage that passion. Or if you have three to four kids in sport, listen, it's a financial commitment. And then there's the time and energy side of it as well. It might be impossible to have your kids in multiple sports. And that's okay. You just need to plan for it. Free play will be critical here. You need to make sure you schedule in plenty of free play time out with their buddies on the sand lot or in the street playing hockey unstructured uncoached play is absolutely important here and another very important thing you can do is find an athlete development specialist who can build you a program that can compensate for the lack of sport experiences that we see when an athlete is specialized And that's exactly how we do it for our pro guys who are entrenched in a single sport, but also for our young developing athletes who are entering the high performance pathways with aspirations of college, pro drafts, or the Olympics. Athletes who are locked into a single sport. The training we prescribe not only addresses the sport demands for improving performance and reducing the risk of injury. For any of our specialized athletes from youth to pro, our programs make up for what they're not getting from their sport. More often than not, and especially in today's competition-driven scheduling, 
Sport takes more than it gives back. And repeating the same movements and dealing with the same stresses day after day, month after month, year after year, can not only cause wear and tear, it can dramatically limit development, ultimately lowering an athlete's ceiling of performance. This is why you see substantially more multi-sport athletes playing high school sports, college sports, and most certainly professional sports, and it's not even close. Specialization and early specialization can be tricky. You have to be aware of it and you have to plan for it accordingly. Specializing before the age of 12 and playing a sport for more than eight months a year can be a very dangerous game to play. So if you are specializing in a sport, for whatever the reason, simply prepare for it. Handle it the right way. Allow for plenty of free play time and make sure you're in an athlete development strength and conditioning program that compensates for the single sport approach. I guess the big takeaway here is that there's no tried and true single way to create success in sport. If you specialize, understand and prepare for it. If you are sampling and playing multiple sports, understand and be prepared for that as well. Bottom line, there are many, many ways to make progress in sport when you're thinking like an athlete. I'm Jeff Kershell. Coming up in the next few weeks, we'll be talking the tyranny of talent, how it compels and limits athletic achievement. We'll also look at preparing for the hockey season with some of the NHL's top minds. And as baseball heads into the offseason, we'll also be talking with some of the game's top performance coaches and medical experts about how you can maximize your performance and development and what you need to know to reduce your risk of injury as you head into your offseason. And we'll also have an episode talking about the art of coaching. It is a powerful, powerful position in sport. We'll talk about coaching performance. If you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks, or a topic you'd like us to investigate, write to me. Info at jeffkershell.com. We answer every single message we get. I'll look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great week, everybody. And we'll talk to you next time right here on Crush Performance. <laughs>